And obviously, I am not Owen. Um, he and his family are taking a, a much-needed, much-deserved break uh, this week, and so he asked me to come and share with you. If you don't know me, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and I wanted to share with you uh, this morning something that has um, been, been a blessing for me. Um, when I have kind of these just random opportunities, it's, it's usually what I do is I just like, what's been affecting me lately? What have I been studying? What is, what is helpful in my life? And so I hope to share that with you today in, in hopes that it will be helpful um, to you. So a few weeks ago, uh, we had uh, an opportunity, uh, a difficult and a sad opportunity, but we had an opportunity to celebrate our friend uh, Dub Raper. Many of you uh, were there at his, at his funeral service, and it was um, as difficult as it was, it was an encouraging time. Um, for me, it was, it was kind of fun to get to hear um, from different aspects of his life. I've known Dub the past 10 or 12 years that we've been going um, here to Emmaus, but I had never, obviously I never experienced him as a, like a basketball coach or as a, as a family member, a father. So it was kind of fun to hear um, some of his old players come and share their stories about Dub. And one of the things that they kept repeating, it just, just seemed to be a theme uh, that came up quite a bit, was the idea that, yeah, sometimes he was a, he was a tough coach. Um, I, think, I think we can all picture that. We know Dub was a soft-hearted guy, but we also knew he was, he was probably able to get on it uh, when it came to the basketball court. And what they all said was, you knew things were okay as long as he was getting on to you, right? What you didn't want is for him to just leave you alone right, to ignore you. On, on the court and at practice, you wanted him to, to care about what you did wrong. You wanted him uh, to stay in your face and stay on you because that meant he wanted you to get better. That meant he cared about you. He wanted you to do well. He wanted the team to do well. Uh, what would be a bad thing is if he stepped away and just let you do your thing, let you keep messing up and didn't, didn't work, didn't help you um, to get any better. And that's, that's a truth that I think all of us can can understand. We can all appreciate that. We all know that, that discipline um, is, is a good thing, is a helpful thing, except when it comes to us, right? Except when it's our turn to get yelled at, when it's our turn to have to run some extra laps or, or get in trouble by our parents, right? Uh, it's a little bit harder to remember the value of discipline when we're the ones being disciplined, and so that's the, that's the fun topic that we get to talk about today that I hope will be um, helpful is the idea of, of discipline. And so we're going to take a break uh, from the Daniel study today, and we're going to look in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Um, as, as I like to do, just a little bit of background on Hebrews. Hebrews is actually one of those books that we don't get to know a whole lot about. Um, most of what we know is just kind of guessing and piecing together from some clues. Um, the author, for example, we don't know who the author is. Um, some some kind of play the guessing game of, uh, well, they say Paul. Um, I feel like I feel like when people guess Paul as being the author of Hebrews, I feel like you're, you're just playing statistics at that point. Like if anybody asks you who wrote a book of the New Testament and you don't know who it is, just throw Paul out there. There's a decent chance that you'll be right. And so I think that's kind of what they're doing here. There's not really a whole lot of reason we think that it's Paul. Um, the style feels different. So there could be several others, but we don't know. Um, we also don't know specifically who the audience is um, or the specific purpose. But what we can figure out um, is that it does look like this was written to Jewish Christians. Um, so those who would have been really familiar uh, with 
Mosaic Law who would have been involved in that. And it seems like they're going through a difficult time because the book is written as an encouragement. The, the book is there to spur on this group of believers in the midst of difficulty. So the first 10 chapters are bringing encouragement by looking at Christ. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But basically making the case that Christ is better, that Christ is superior to angels, that he is superior to the Mosaic law that they had spent their whole life learning and perfecting. And then that last section of encouragement, the last few chapters, are just meant to be a call to endurance, a call to perseverance. In chapter 11, right before where we're going to be today, um, we get to hear about our heroes of the faith, those who have gone before. And it's really just a, a way to say, God has used these people, right? Not all great, perfect, good people, right? They had a lot of flaws. There are some people named in there who you wouldn't think of as good right off the bat, but they're listed as those who were involved in great acts of faith because of the work of Christ. And so it's from there that we are encouraged in chapter 12 to stay strong. And so we're going to pick up in verse 3. I'm going to read the whole of our passage today, and then we're going to walk back through it step by step. Starting in verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation addressed, that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so what I want to do is look back at this kind of section by section and see what are we being encouraged by, right? Why, why should we hear about discipline and know that discipline is going to come our way and, and be encouraged and feel good about that? So starting in verse 3 and 4, the first instruction that we're given is that we are to look to Christ. And we are look to Christ who has gone before. With this, these verses, we see as believers where our eyes should always be. They should always be on Christ. When we find ourselves in difficult times like the ones that these believers were dealing with, there is one answer. There's one solution and one way to move forward, and that is to put your eyes on Christ. I like that it uses that word there, consider, right? Consider him who has gone before. To think carefully about. That should be the rallying cry, the constant encouragement that we give to others when we are in difficulty, when we are in darkness. 
If you're ever, if you're ever caring for a brother or sister as they're, they're walking through tough times and they're, they're laying out the struggles that they have and it's, it's one of those, you're like, I don't, I don't know what to say here. I don't, have a, I don't have a solution. I don't have anything that makes this better. What do I say? This is one thing that you can always say. You may not know how they're going to navigate the struggles that they're having with their spouse. You, you may not know what's going to happen to their health or the health of a loved one, um, how they're going to get out of the financial problems that they're in, find a new job. You, you may not know those answers, and you don't have to because you know the primary answer that their best course of action in moving forward is to look to Christ. There's um, an older pastor who um, has, has a helpful quote. It's probably the one that I go back to in my life just over and over and over. When I find myself in a, in a tricky situation, a, a bad or a dark situation, um, it is the one thing that helps me move forward. He says, for every look to self, take 10 looks to Christ. So for every look that you take to yourself, to your circumstance, to what's going on around you, take 10 looks to Christ. See, we kind of have a habit, and, and I'm, I'm a perfect example of this, of want, when we find troubles, we want so badly just to find the, the practical solution. We want to find the way out. We want to find the thing that makes us feel better and get past the difficulty, right? And that's okay. There's a, there's a time to figure those things out, but only after you've, you've first taken a look to Christ, or in, in his case, 10 looks to Christ, right? Because that has to be the basis. The reason that we find ourselves um, so lost in the battle of life and, and feeling so hopeless is because we're looking for answers in the wrong place. We're not starting with the right foundation of looking to our Savior, right? And I think about it like this. If, if you want to get better at something, right, if you want to grow and mature to do, do something better, develop a skill, it is, it's not helpful to go and practice the same way that you've been doing it all along, right? If you go out and practice something poorly, what are you going to do? You're only going to further perpetuate the habit of doing it poorly. It's, it's not going to be helpful. You're not going to get any better by doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. So what should you do? You should look for one who has gone before, an expert. Find somebody who knows what they're doing and look at them, learn from them, hear from them, study them so that you might know how to move forward. And so what this passage is telling us is that Christ has gone before. He has, he has done all this. He has suffered more hostility, more pain, more struggle than we ever have. And, that, and that's not meant to that's not meant to diminish the struggles or the pains that, that you have. It's, it's just an encouragement to say, you have a friend. You have someone who's done this before, someone who's willing to walk alongside you through this time. Use that. Use that resource. Look to him. He knows what we're going through, and he's given us encouragement through his example for us. So we're to consider him so that we don't keep looking inward to ourselves for the answers, for the way forward, because that, that is going to lead where? It's going to lead to weariness, to faint-heartedness. We need to look to Christ where the encouragement is. Moving on to verses 5 and 6. I think this is a, maybe the difficult one. The idea of embracing the discipline. Right? 5 and 6 reminds us 
that, that we should not just have a negative attitude towards the discipline that comes our way. That we're to, we're to kind of flip and change the perspective that we have on life struggles. It references, it, it's, you see that your, your verses are kind of moved over. It's because this is a quote. It's referencing Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So as I mentioned a minute ago, we're, we're all quick to agree that discipline is needed, right? That it's necessary, especially when it comes to children, right? That's the obvious um, example that we think of as disciplining children so that they will grow up in the way that they should. But the problem is, as we get older, I think it gets harder and harder for us to connect our actions with, with discipline. Discipline becomes harder to recognize as, as what it is, right? Because it's obvious when a, when a kid is disciplined, right, when they're, say when they're grounded, right, when something gets taken away, a, a, a toy or a car or whatever gets taken away, it's obvious that's a specific sin for a specific punishment, a discipline. It's easy to recognize us, that. For, for us, it's difficult because they're, they're not always connected, Right? Sometimes God allows us to go through trials that at least externally aren't connected with our sin as a form of discipline. So now, now before we move forward, one thing I, I want to make clear, what I'm not saying is that every bad thing, every tragedy or difficulty that comes in your life is a direct result of a specific sin in your life. Okay, so I, I'm not saying because something bad happened to you, well, you must have messed up somewhere and God's punishing you. That is not at all what I'm saying. That's, that's unbiblical. What I'm saying is that God uses discipline as more than just a corrective action. Right? He uses it as a forming tool. We live in a broken world that has sin in it, and that's why bad things happen. And so I, I want to make clear that we, we tend to think about bad things happening in our life as being something that just happens by chance. What I'm saying is we, we need to we need to place purpose on those negative things. We need to realize they don't just happen by chance and for no reason. They, they serve a very important purpose, purpose, and that's discipline, whether it's for a specific sin or just sin in general. It is something meant to encourage us. Al Mohler writes about this. He, he says discipline is not only about corrective punishment. Discipline includes molding and teaching us through circumstances. So we all know that you can read a truth and then you can experience it. You know that those are two different ways to know something is true, right? You might read in Proverbs that sin comes with punishment and consequence and difficulty. But then when you experience it in real life, right, let, let's say you broke the trust of a friend in, in some way. Uh, that you lied to them or you cheated them or something. You have to, you have to step up face-to-face and, and tell them that, right? That, that feeling that you have in your gut, that pain that you feel in that heavy heart of knowing that you lost the trust of your friend, right? You're going to remember that a lot better by experiencing it rather than just, just reading about it. And so sometimes God allows us to feel that kind of pain, that kind of discipline, so that it, so that it sticks, so it's something that we remember and it's something that next time 
We remember the pain. We remember the sting that came with that sin. And we have some encouragement to move away from it. So, so we're to remember that when we experience these trials, our goal is not to simply hate the trial and just hope and wait for it to be over with. We need to recognize that we serve an all-powerful God who has control over all things, and He intends for that circumstance to be used for His glory and for our good. To know that He loves us, He considers us His children, and He intends for us to grow through it. So we have to ask ourselves, what is that purpose? Why are we in this season? What can be accomplished? What is God teaching me? And so we know that Christ has gone before. We know that we're to embrace the discipline. Verses 7 through 11 bring us an encouragement that I think is the strongest of all. Right? I think it's the one that, that we can most likely relate to. Notice that we are children of God. Right? The, the word here takes time to explain why God disciplines us. He doesn't just say, God's going to bring discipline to you. Get over it. Right? He, he's clear to explain why he wants to bring discipline to us. And it's because he loves us. It's because he views us as sons, as his children. And, and, and the idea of us being children of God, I, I think, is um, it, it's a form of church speak that because of familiarity, because of repetition, uh, we've, we've kind of gotten used to. And it's lost some of its weight and some of its, of its magnitude. We need to consider what it means that the God of the universe would consider you and I his children. So much so that he would care for us, that he would love us, that he would not let us continue walking on in, in ignorance and in sin, but that he would correct us and pull us back to him. Right? If we love, we love our children, right? We want them to do good. We want them to grow and to learn what it means to be um, a good member of society and a, a faithful follower of Christ. If we can do that, how much more can God do that for us? And, and this is something that the world answers differently. That when, when the world is struggling with why bad things are happening, right? When tragedies happen, when, when crises happen, how could there be a God? That's their question. How can there be a God? A good God, anyways, if he would allow these things to happen. Well, as Christians, we can calmly, confidently, without apology, say, because he loves us, right? That, that these consequences of sin are there for a purpose, and that purpose is that he loves us, and they are part of his plan for teaching us that sin and departure from him leads to a bad place, leads to a much worse place than these consequences. His desire, we get to say his desire is not just for us to be happy and, and to live a carefree life, but he desires for us to be those who understand that the consequences of sin are great and that we have a great need for a Savior. Without them, we don't get, we don't get there. We don't get to the point where we understand, I, I need a Savior. I need someone to save me from this. And so he puts them out there for our good. And verse 11 makes the point, no, discipline is not fun, right? It, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make discipline easy. By nature, it must be painful, right? It, it has to be. We, we've all seen that movie scene where somebody's walking out into the street and they're 
whatever, they're distracted, they're on their phone, they're turned around looking at something else, and a car is coming, and they don't see that car coming, and the car doesn't see them, right? And then their friend, or even sometimes just a stranger, walks over to them and very calmly explains, hey, you should probably move out of the road in time. No, that's not what happens, right? What do they do? They, they shove them out of the way. They tackle them to the ground. They make sure that they are safe from the car. Yeah, it's not, it's not comfortable. No one wants to get tackled in the middle of the street, right? But they don't complain about the scrapes and the bruises. Why? It's because they got to live. Their life was saved by that action. It wasn't pleasant, but it was necessary. And what God is disciplining us away from is far more consequential than an oncoming car. Right? Proverbs 7 says that if we aren't disciplined, if we aren't formed and taught to understand that the consequences of sin are great, it says that we will be like an ox led to the slaughter, not knowing that it's going to cost us our life. That, that if, we don't, if we don't wake up and we don't start to see discipline for what it is, that it's drawing attention to the gravity of sin, we're going to be like an animal who has no idea, ignorantly and happily walking to our death. There's a great cost. And so he, him seeing us as his children is an encouragement. That he would discipline his children is an encouragement to us. So then, how do we, how do we learn that? How do we learn to be okay with discipline? Right, I, I use in, our, in my sermon notes, I, I use the, the phrase, how do we become comfortable with uncomfortable? How do we learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable? The first thing that we do is that we search for sin. We search for the idols in our life. Sometimes God uses struggles in our life, not, not so much as a, as a punishment, but as a way for us to be, uh, for our sin to be revealed. Right, if you've ever wondered something that you like in life, if you've ever wondered if that thing is an idol, one of the most helpful tests is to say, what happens when that thing is taken away, right, or, or it's changed? I know for me, I, I like my routine, right, especially now that, that we have kids. If um, I, I want everything to be organized, I want this is the time that we have dinner, this is the time that we take baths, this is the time we go to bed. Right, I have a routine, and if something throws that off, if, if there's a curveball, if, if the kid does something that, that throws that whole routine off, I'm not happy. Right? I, get, I get cranky. My answers get short. Um, I kind of become a little bit of a punk. I'll just be honest with you. I, I don't handle that well. Well, what that is is that's, that's revealing that that's, that's become an idol to me. My routine and structure has become an idol we need to be aware that, that our sinfulness can reach into the areas of our life that we don't, we don't even know. Like we don't even see and recognize that we have sin. We might not want to face that truth. We might not want to face, because we all know the four or five sins that we deal with. Right now, you know, you can, you can think and you can list off the sin that you need to work on in your life. But what we don't often think about is the 50 sins that we're not even aware of, that don't even pop up on our radar. That's just how sinful we are. And so that's where God's discipline comes into play, that it, uh, it makes us aware 
just how sinful we are, just how many sins are there. It brings them to light. And, and sometimes it seems kind of counterintuitive. Why would we want to go find those things, right? Why can't we just, you know what, I'm just going to make good decisions moving forward. I don't have to go backwards and look at those sins. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I heard a sermon last year, and it was dealing with the, the concept of shame, of how do you deal with shame in your life. And one of the things that he said is that when there's sin in our life, most of the time you have to go backwards before you can go forward, right? You, you can't move forward in your walk with the Lord until you've gone backwards and you've dealt with the sin, the hidden sin that's in your life. In order for us to change and to be more like Christ, we have to be willing to go as far back as we need to to bring that sin to light and repent of it. There's a book that I read about, about a year ago called Extravagant Grace. And in it, she makes, the author makes a, the argument that maturing in Christ, that growing in Christ, being sanctified, is not just about sinning less. Right? It's, it's not just about being a better Christian. That growing in the faith is mostly about becoming more and more aware of how sinful we are and more and more aware of how much we need Christ. That that's what maturity looks like, not just getting away from sin. And so we need to have a greater understanding of our sin for that to happen. In Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. So that's the beginning of the chapter. He starts out by saying, God, you already know me. You already know my heart. You already know the sins and the depths of my depravity. And then he ends the chapter with this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's already admitted God knows his sin. And then what he's asking at the end of the chapter is saying, reveal it. Reveal it to me. We already know you know it. It's not just so that you can know it. It's so that I can know it. So that I can be led in a new way, in a new path. So we need to search for sin and idols. The second thing that we need to do, once we are aware of that sin, is confess our sin. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgressions, transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Uh, this is an important point. It is necessary that we confess our sins to receive God's grace and mercy. It, that has to be a part of the process. This is not just to God, but even to those that we are close with. James 5 highlights this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confession and repentance require openness and vulnerability that is extremely difficult it's letting someone else see the worst in you so that they can come alongside you pray for you walk through that battle with you i've, I've had a chance to talk about this i've gotten over the last couple of months i've been able to jump in a couple of sunday school classes and talk about um, my vision for discipleship at emmaus and this is one of the the major points i've been able to make um, is, and my hope for Emmaus is that we would be a people who would have relationships that are strong enough that they can allow for this kind of vulnerability, 
right, that they can allow us to come and confess our sin. Not just the kind of surface level stuff we kind of joke about, but no, the, the real sin, the worst in us. And I'm, I'm, of course, not saying to groups as a whole. It's, it's important to be wise in who you share those things with, but that you would build close, trusted relationships that you can say, here's, here's who I really am. In my darkest moment, when no one else sees me, this is who I am. And I, I know, like when you think about that and you kind of picture that scene, you, your thought might be, I can't possibly do that. I couldn't possibly tell somebody the worst secrets of my heart. They won't, they won't like me anymore, right? They're going to judge me. They're not going to want to be my friend anymore. And I, of course, I, I can't promise that they won't react that way. But I, but I can tell you what I've experienced um, in, in my own heart and in my own life what I've, what I've heard testimony of others talk about is when you get to this point, when you are really open and honest about who you are, typically the response is, yeah, me too. You know what, I may not struggle with that sin, but, uh, but I struggle in this area. And your openness, your vulnerability is what frees them to share their sin and to confess what's going on in their life so that that group can become a real effective community for the gospel and helping each other work through that sin. But someone, unfortunately, someone has to go first. And so my encouragement to you would be, if, if that's not something you already have in your life, a place where you can confess that, that kind of sin, be that first person. Right? Be the person who initiates that kind of relationship that, that one day you might be able to share that. So we know our sin, we confess our sin, and then lastly, just remembering that the difficulty in life is a marathon, it's not a sprint, right? And that, that might not sound like the most encouraging thing that we want to hear, um, but the truth is we have to learn how to be uncomfortable for the long haul, right? We seem to be people, we all kind of struggle with, we just want to get to the next point in our life right, when things will get easier. I remember as a student, you know, I was always like, well, things will be better when I get to high school, when I get to college, when I graduate college, right? It just goes further and further out. Or it might be, you know, until I get married or when I have kids and when the kids move out or when I get a promotion or when I retire, right? We're always wanting to get to that next step where things get easier there. I think we would do better to prepare ourselves for the idea that we're always going to have struggle, we're always going to have difficulty. There are going to be aspects of life that are always uncomfortable. We can't endure to the end if we're always assuming, well, it's, it's only a year or two away and then things get easier. Things, things don't get easier on this earth. Right now, one day we, we get to have the joy and the encouragement of knowing that once we move on from this earth, yes, things do get better. Way, way better beyond our imagination. But we need to prepare ourselves for the long haul of being uncomfortable just for, before our passage today, when we start in verse 3, if you, if you back up to verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured to the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So it says running the race with endurance. It doesn't mention speed, it mentions endurance. With that comes the idea that this is a long race. Right? We need to get comfortable knowing that this is going to last for a while. And that can only be done if we use God's discipline, His forming power, to help us lay aside those weights that trip us up, that entangle us. And I, and I bring attention to this idea because there are those who have not endured. There are those who, who did not persevere to the end. I'm not, I'm not suggesting they lost their salvation. I don't think that's, that's possible. I'm, I'm saying what they did was that they proved without endurance, without perseverance, they proved that they were never believers, right? And not people you would expect. There is a sad story. We're going to sing a hymn in a minute, and there's a sad story that goes with it. I, I've, I've read somewhere that um, hymns are, are like short autobiographies of the person who wrote them. So if you're ever looking, you know, to, to grow in your worship, look up the story behind a hymn, right? There, there are some really interesting ways for, for which they came about. This one happens to be a kind of a sad one. Robert Robinson was a non-believer um, growing up. He had a, he had a rough childhood. Um, he ran around with a group of guys that were basically just troublemakers is the easiest way to put it. Um, but one night, by God's providence, he heard a sermon by George Whitfield, a very famous pastor um, from England in the 1700s. And after that, he, he became a believer, or supposedly became a believer, became a preacher and a pastor. And he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount. You've probably heard that one. It's, it's not a hidden one. It's, a, it's very well known. It's one of my favorite hymns. He wrote Come Thou Fount. And the story is sad because it's somewhat accepted that he drifted away um, in his later life from the joy of the Lord. So when he writes lyrics like prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love, he was, he was writing about personal experience. He was writing about what, what was he was struggling with in his heart. And there's a, there's a story, whether or not it's true, I, I, I don't know, but there's a story um, that he was in a stagecoach. They were traveling somewhere, and there was a young lady in the stagecoach with him. And just to pass the time, it's probably a long trip, just to pass the time, she started singing. And of course, what did she start singing but Come Thou Fount? She sings that song. When she's done, she doesn't know who he is, but when she's done, she says, what what are your thoughts about that song? What do, what do you think about it? And his reply was this, Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I could feel now as I felt then. That's, that's what's at stake when we, when we fight for endurance. That's why it's important for us to consider the idea of how do we persevere? How do we endure? How do we learn to be comfortable with the discipline of the Lord. It's because we, we, don't, we don't want to be in his shoes. We, we want to be able to say, I, I feel more now than I felt then about the joy of the Lord. And so as we, as we close, I'm, I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. And I, I want us to take some time and consider God's discipline in your life, to consider the struggles and the difficulties and their purposes in your life, to consider the, the sin that might be unconfessed and I, I hope that you will take this time uh, to pray. I'm, I'm going to be down front. You're welcome to come and, and pray with me. You're welcome to use the altar. 
Um, if there's someone in this room that you're comfortable with and you want to pray with them, go and, and find them. Use, use the, this time while, while the praise team plays to do that. Or sing, sing the song. Consider the words that we are people who are prone to wander and pray that God's discipline would not be wasted, would not be ignored or simply um, skipped over, but that you might use it for the purpose that God intends it and that it would mold you and make you more like him. Let me pray for us and we'll spend some time singing. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we, we praise you that you would consider us sons, that you would consider us your children. And we know that there is nothing about us that is lovable to you, and yet you choose to love us as your own children. God, discipline is, is hard. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to struggle. But God, I pray that today, by reading your word, we would be encouraged to know that that discipline, we can be reminded that it's, it's an act of love from you. That you have a purpose and a meaning for it. So God, I, I pray that you would be with us during this time. Move in our hearts. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit that we get to celebrate today in Pentecost. I pray that that Spirit would move in us and stir our affections towards you, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. And that we would walk out from here encouraged desiring to know you and looking for your purpose in our lives it's in your son's name we pray amen